James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. The author says this, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being itself alone. But someone may well say, have you faith and I have Works, show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see, that man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. This is, uh, this is the most famous, maybe, passage in our letter by James. For some, it is the most perplexing. I think, however, if you've been tracking with us through the book of James at all, um, this passage will be completely obvious. What do I mean by that? Plucked out of the letter, the next few sentences could be batted around theologically, but taken in the flow of what we've already seen, what we've already learned and read of James's heartfelt letter to his beloved brethren, the intent of these words, I think they become plain. Uh, as I considered even how to teach this portion of the book of James, it became increasingly obvious to me that uh, I could spend the vast majority of this time, uh, our remaining time in the service, breaking down the words, breaking down the phrases, uh, giving you the whole debate structure that James uses here. Or we could just read it as we have and take it for what it is basically and so deal more directly with the heart of, I think, the passage. And that's where we're going this morning. Now, let me just give you a little caveat. I'm going to come back and I'm going to give you all the theology behind it. This morning, let's start where I think the heart of James is. Not getting caught up in all the theology, but just listening in the context of everything we've already heard, listening to, I think, the intent of his heart. Listening to the main point. Because I think, I think this is where James really boils the book down. I think this is where he's been going, and I think this is what takes him the rest of the way. I think this is maybe... You could think of it as the pinnacle of the book. I think it's the point where James is in a low voice yelling from the depths of his soul. I think I think uh, to this point, his heart has been building up. And, and here in this passage, we're going to see his heart explode for for the church. 
We've seen him already to the point of begging, right? Beseeching the beloved brethren to listen. But not just to listen with your ears, but to listen to the point of action. He's, he's been crying out for that. In verse 14, I picture James at the end of his self calling out to the church to just stop playing games and think with the most basic of rationale. To be done with all the facade of their faith. Uh, and really, just get down to what we might call brass tacks. You ever heard that saying? I, I was confused when I, when, I, when I thought about that. Is it brass tacks, T-A-X, or brass tacks, T-A-C-K-S? Anybody? Anybody? It's actually both. I looked it up. It's both. But that's where I think where James is landing right here in this passage. Here's what I mean by it's both. I found at least four, uh, four places where this saying of brass tacks could come from because I think we get that. We use it a lot, maybe to help us to understand the heart of where, where James is. Uh, one of the places I found is that um, back in the day, a material salesman, people sold like bolts and yards of material. When they would lay it out on their counter, most of the time they would use their, they would use their arm as the distance of uh, one yard, so to speak, of material to buy. So if you tell him, hey, I want, three, I want three measurements or three yards of that material, he'd use his arm. Well, obviously, people's arms are different lengths. And so what, what people began to be in the habit of saying is, I want to I use the brass tacks, T-A-C-K-S. They were actually tacks on his board so that he could measure definitely each time he could measure consistently that that material. So some people would say, hey, I want, let's use the brass tacks. It, it was it was the bottom line. It was the end. OK, it was the ultimate authority. You, you couldn't go any further. Uh, I also read that it came from maybe uh, not just material salesmen, but furniture builders. If you get a guy who was building a chair, they would put the they would build the material in the seat of the chair. The first layer, they said, they would use sometimes even horsehair, and they would wrap it around there, bound it tightly, and they would use brass tacks to nail it. And when you had something reupholstered, you'd say, "I want it taken down to the brass tacks." That makes sense. We want to get down to the bottom line. We want to get down to the root of the issue. We want to get down to the lowest common denominator. Uh, it also is used historically as a, a shoemaker or a cobbler. Specifically, I read that it, it was used in the military for the guys who, who, who resold the, uh, the military soldiers' boots. And the first layer of leather before they would put the thick sole on, that first layer was nailed in with brass tacks. And so the soldiers would come in and say, I need it taken down to the brass tacks, the bottom Line. Take it back to the beginning, the basics. T A C K S. Also, as a T A X tax, there was a point in the history of America where there was a significant tax on your brass. And it was a significant tax on your brass because it was the most costly part of your tax. And so in the end, they would they would tax you on all you got, and then they were in the habit of saying, Okay, now what is what is what is the brass tax? Meaning, all right, hit me with the worst part of it. In the, in the end, I know I'm going to have to pay a tax for my brass. So people got in the habit of saying, let's get down to brass tax. I know I've got to pay all this. That's, that's obvious. But now you're hitting me with this, this tax on my brass. Let's deal with it because it's going to be costly for me. And so they would get down to the basics. Tell me, give me the real truth. James is, in our understanding, he's getting down to brass tax, I think, in this passage. I... I couldn't get away from the opening words of this passage. 
The opening phrase, what use is it, my brethren? I try and sometimes, and it's, it's sometimes a subjective thing, but I try in the context of passages, I hope maybe you do this as you read, I try and not only visualize the, the author and sometimes the original readers, I try, and, I try and put myself in the context so to understand the tone of the author. And I couldn't get away from the fact that it just seems like the heart of James is crying out here. He's at the, at the base of his whole argument in this book. What use is it? My brethren, what use, what good is it? I think that's his tone. If someone says he has faith, but he has no works. Um, This is the point where I think if you've been in these sermons on James, if you think back to what he has already been saying and teaching, There's really no question of what this means. What use is our faith that we've been trying to figure out up to this point, whether it's fraudulent or not? Remember, that's our our theme question. What use, brethren, is faith, this ethereal thing you're claiming to have, if there is no evidentiary work any fruit that is coming from it seems, seems plain in the context. Can that faith, that faith, that faith, that faith in particular, the faith that has no works, can that faith save a man? Can the faith that is strictly a statement of the mouth, but it comes out nowhere in life, can that faith actually save a man? And then he goes to an illustration. I think it's a pretty simple illustration, pretty simple explanation of what he means here, what he's getting at, what the brass tacks of his heart is right here for this for this great theological issue. Here it is. He goes to the most base elements in all of life, food and covering. Watch 15. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace. This is a common Hebrew blessing. Go in peace. Be warmed and filled. It sounds great. In other words, and yet you don't give them what is necessary for their body. Once again, what, what use is that? What use is that kind of faith? simple. I mean, there's nothing confusing about that. We've seen where James is going. He boils it down to throwing up his hands, I would imagine, and saying, Church, what use is it if this stuff we talk about doesn't make it into our Monday through Friday, everyday living You know what? Don't get too caught up in the food and the covering here. His example is intended to be the most basic example you can give. But that's not it, to be sure. Obviously, there's other things we need to do. You can't just go around feeding people and clothing people and call yourself good to go in your faith. But he boils it down here to the brass tacks. He says, listen, if you can't even just do the most obvious, compassionate thing. And not just throw religion at them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, but actually do nothing here? What use? What use? 
Uh, many of you know that um, that our family was out of town this last week for, um, I'm going to grab a chair, Kimberly's grandmother's funeral. We missed you last Sunday. Um, put that Put that picture up there of Granny. Born in 1920, she would have been 90 in just a couple weeks. She, uh, as I've heard the stories, had and saw her share of heartache. Married early, as was common, her first husband passed away. She remarried to a guy named Homer. I always like saying Homer. It just makes me laugh every time I say Homer. He was a good old boy. Homer was Kimberly's grandfather. She had four boys and one girl. She lost one of those sons early in his childhood. They moved from the coal mining mountains of Kentucky, hard life, to the farm life of Indiana, not much easier. She was, as uh, stories go, a crack shot with a rifle and rumored to make some moon moonshine. Moonshine. Mean moon. Mean, that's hard to say. Mean moonshine. There you go. Um, I sat in her funeral. And it occurred to me that there was uh, nothing but good to be said of this woman. Now, of course, at funerals, you only say nice things, right? (laughs) It's just kind of how it works. Uh, That doesn't mean, however, that there isn't bad stuff to be said. Uh, You just keep those stories to yourself, don't you? You just say all the good stuff. But I honestly had the feeling, for the first time ever sitting in a funeral, that people weren't just being kind. They actually had nothing to say but wonderful things about Mary Cloud. And now don't worry, I don't mean that she was in some way sinless. But what I'm saying is that she was apparently blameless among men. In her everyday living. And I realized that there was uh, nothing in her life that gave anyone who knew her any reason to question her faith. Uh, this is where it really hit me. I, I was sitting in the second row just behind the, the immediate family. And uh, I was just just steps away from the pastor, good old country preacher who's done every funeral in this family. And it hit me when her pastor said this. He said, Mary and Homer never gave me a day of grief. And when he said it, he looked up, being her pastor, he looked up and he caught my eye and he caught the eye of another pastor and he caught the eye of another minister as if to say, isn't that, isn't that amazing? <laughs> as if to say, you guys know that's not common. He went on to say they made no attempt at gaining recognition. They made an honest living wanted to serve God and be a blessing. And I just, I think I missed the next couple minutes of his message because those words just stuck with me. They wanted to serve God and be a blessing. And as I thought back to the, oh, uh, 16, 15 years now that I've known Granny and Homer, uh, I had to say, yeah, I believe that. I believe it. How novel is that? <laughs> How amazing is that? I mean, 
Maybe better said, how simple is that? And I I sat there and I took a deep breath and I said, how refreshing is that? Uh, I would have told you, I would have told you with a pure heart that I had done this years ago, but I have only recently completely, I would say, I've only recently completely, I would say, given my entire life and the living of it over to God. You understand what I mean by that? Not just my life. I'm not talking about salvation, but, but my life and the, and the whole living of it, giving it completely over to God. I've stopped trying to find what the best plan for me is, uh, what the best path, what the best way, what the best option, what the best life, what the best decision for me is. I've stopped. In fact, I, I'm trying harder not to try anymore. Um, I've stopped leading and tried to begin listening more, waiting on the Spirit to lead instead of me leading out. That, by the way, you'll be happy to know, also applies for Cornerstone as one of the leaders here. I've given up trying to know what is best for Cornerstone because the truth is, and and surprise, surprise, right? God actually knows what's best. And not only does He know what's best, but He wants what's best for us individually and us as a church as well. He not only knows what's best, but wants what's best and wants to give us what will be most satisfying and most joyous to us in this life. That sounds obvious. It's easier maybe said than as a part of our life, as a part of our true belief. Uh, I told you a couple weeks back that the dream of cornerstone I've had for this past year is that we become an extraordinary church. It's been recently clarified by God further in me using the word organic. I kind of just grab hold of words and and asking God, how do we become extraordinary? This word organic has been stuck in my head. Organic simply implies that there be no need for artificial additives or ingredients for us to grow or bear fruit. Okay. Just the basics are needed. Water, natural light, fertilizer. So how do we become an extraordinary people, an extraordinary church? The answer, how about we focus on the basics? How about we get down to brass tacks? How about we stop blurring the issues with too much theological talk? How about we stop being a source of grief to each other because of what we want or what we think is best? How about we give away recognition? How about we give away the glory? How about we focus on serving God humbly and becoming a blessing instead of a curse? How about we stop thinking about this being uh, a family and actually live like it is? Let me say that again. How about we stop thinking and talking about this thing of Cornerstone being a family and actually start living like it is? How about you start taking some meals together, helping each other, caring for one another, laying sod, if you have to, on a Saturday at noon in the heat? Uh, Can I just tell you, I put an email out there and uh, many of the men responded. Thank you. Uh, I had a dozen guys came out. I think we laid five pallets of sod in about 49 minutes. Okay. And we had uh, we had a blast. Uh, how guys do, picking on each other, razzing each other, giving each other a hard time. Radley got the blunt of most of it, okay? Um, But we had a blast. And the guy we were helping, uh, a member of this church and uh, actually a founding part of this church, um, a church planter himself, a retired pastor himself, that guy 
uh, I could just tell was so blessed. And this, this passage occurred to me. And what use is our faith if we can't go lay some sod and be a blessing, a, a real blessing to someone? And we left there, I think, and, and that guy, he, he, I think we left him praising the Lord. Not because we preached at him, but because a dozen guys came out and laid sod that uh, would have taken him three weeks to do by himself. And we saved him hundreds of dollars. Folks, we try very hard <clears throat> around here not to ask, not to ask too much of you here being a part of Cornerstone. And let me tell you why. It's so that you can always have time for the basics. We don't want to get so much stuff going on around here that we miss the basics. Okay? Um, can I just make a... Let me just make a statement. I'm going to sit down again for this one. Let me just make a statement, and this may, may step on someone's toes, but that's part of privilege of getting to stand up here every Sunday, I guess. Part of my job, maybe. Um, you can call this place home, okay? And I'm going to look down here so nobody thinks I'm actually looking at them. You could call this place home, attend three out of four Sundays, even be on the kids' corner rotation volunteer list. But if you don't plug your life into the life of others here, you will eventually call me, have your wife send me an email. That's what happens most of the time. Or you'll just disappear without a trace. Um, there is a way that we can be a part of this body without really being a part of this body. There is a way that we can talk about this being a family without us actually living like it's a family. Without us doing just the very basics. And we can do the stuff and we can busy ourselves and we can come and we can grab a place to serve and we can do that. And, and, and folks, I've watched people do that and... At some point, they just are so easily detached. I think, what, what kind of attachment did they have? This is why, right? Let me just explain a little bit to you. This is why there's no grand organizational scheming going on here. We're talking about the basics. This is why we have life groups. This is why, okay, this is why we have bread breakers meals. And some of you are thinking, what are bread breakers? Um, in, in putting this in my little notes here, I about forgot the name of it because we don't do it. We put this thing out there. We called it bread breakers. And he said, hey, sign up on the board. Have someone have a meal in your house. That's it. Easy. Why? Because it's, it's the basics of being actually a family of God. It's part of, it's part of just doing the essentials. Not just talking about being family, but being family. Um, and we're not taking advantage of it. Not all of us are taking advantage of life groups. Uh, this is why we have the women's VBS, so you can come together and, and latch on to other women. This is why we have men's prayer breakfast. Uh, and many of you are taking advantage of those things, and some of us don't. And, and, and for those of us who don't, we wonder why there is no real attachment to the body. If you're not in a life group, if you've never come to pancakes, if you've never come to men's prayer breakfast, if you don't get out and help in any of these things that we do when we go to help someone, if you've never had a bread breakers, if you don't invite people over to your house for a meal, if you don't go to someone else's house for a meal, don't expect you're going to be in a family, ethereal, practically. It's not going to happen. 
expect that one day your life in, in, all, the, in all the busyness of uh, life out there, your life is just going to sling you right away from this place. Um, granny, listen to this, Granny never had a car. She never drove people. Okay? She never held a job. She never made a million. She was never credited with any great achievement. Unless, of course, you count the myriad of family friends who were blessed by her faith because it played out in life in the most obvious and simple ways. Do you get it? Becoming extraordinary. <laughs> Becoming extraordinary means we need only do the basics. Uh, I couldn't help but imagine what the answer to this question would be when it's me laying in the casket. When my wife and my sons and my family and my friends look back upon my life as I'm laying there in front of everyone and they ask, if even just in their own hearts, what use was this guy's faith? I pray that in my death, my life resounds with a great affirmation. That my faith was, was great and, and it was obvious in its usefulness. No grand accomplishments by granny in the eyes of this world. But she did the basics, guys. And I, and I just sat there and I thought about our church, okay? This isn't one of those great teaching messages, all right? You know I have several different kind of messages. Some of them are teaching. Some of them are preaching. Some of them are just sit down and share my heart. This is one of those, okay? I sat there in the second row of her funeral and I thought, what more could you want? I mean, you could do a whole lot... Daryl, I could do a whole lot. I could accomplish a whole lot. Um, but really, do I, do I really need any more than, than to be affirmed by my God when I enter His presence and to be looked upon by the people who gather in my last day to be looked upon as a blessing and not a curse? I looked there and I thought, that is, this, this is extraordinary. She didn't have to do this or that or this, but she was, she, she was her faith. I'll just tell you, um, in my years around Granny, <clears throat> this is kind of how, she was sort of the, the, the hub of the whole family. And it seemed to me that, you know, different parts of the family would, you know, in their time around Granny, they'd share different stuff. And they may have a little strife going on with another part of the family. And this, you know, all families, right? Well, Granny was the place everybody went. And I, I swear to you, uh, in all of my time, I never, I never heard this lady um, give any affirmation to any gossip, give any affirmation to any critical words. She would listen She would always remain the peacemaker. And I just thought, what more could you want? The basics. Um, that's my prayer for Cornerstone. As well as 
myself, but it's my prayer for Cornerstone for this thing we call a church family. Uh, there are some here this morning, and again, uh, I'm not teaching here, I'm just taking the liberty of preaching, sharing my heart a little bit. There's some here who are looking for a church to call home. And, and there's always someone who's coming through here looking for a church to call home. Uh, I want to make a statement, and I want to, and I'm not just saying this to you, but I want our, I'm saying this publicly because I want our church to hear this. Um, I want to I make a statement, and I also want to make a recommendation. Let me make the statement first. I'm not going to tell you that we are a group of extraordinary people. <laughs> that would not be true. But one of our elders said, said it well in a meeting yesterday. When he said, the people we have here at Cornerstone, we're not all extraordinary yet. But his conviction of his heart was that the people we have here at Cornerstone, the people who are here and who make the core, the family, the actual family of Cornerstone, they, they want to be extraordinary. And I thought, I thought, amen. Thank you, Lord. What a, what a great compliment to you that the sense of your leadership, the sense of, of your elders, is that you long to be extraordinary. Um, so that's the statement. Let me give you my recommendation. My recommendation has simplified for the, for the last few years. It's, it's changed a little bit. It's kind of narrowed down. But uh, assuming the obvious issues, okay? Assuming the obvious issues that you don't find a place that is... Uh, that is way off in their, in their basic theology, okay? They're not heretics. They have the basics of the gospel straight, okay? Et cetera, et cetera. Assuming, assuming, assuming the basics, the obvious things, okay? You've got two or three churches that all those things are, are panning out okay. There's no great heresy. Uh, they seem to have the theology correct. You've got, you've got three or four churches you're looking at here. Um, here's my recommendation. Three things, okay? Number one. Ask God to choose for you. Ask God to choose for you. Here's why. If you choose, you can change your mind. If God chooses what you think takes second place always to what he says. There have have been those who have come and called Cornerstone home because they have called Cornerstone home. Now, this is hard for a church, especially a church planner who wants to grow a church, right? Uh, My inclination is to say, though, if God is not telling you this is home, don't make it home. We're not we're not trying to get rid of anyone, but it just it doesn't help the body in the long run. Okay. simple recommendation. Number one, ask God to choose for you. Number two. Once you've done number one, if God chooses for you, wherever it is, whether it's here or somewhere else, step number two, imagine that that church is the only body of Christ around. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. If you choose, you can change your mind. If you let God choose, number two, imagine that it's the only body of Christ around. Commit to it through thick and thin If it is the bride God calls you to, be kind to her, be patient with her, and don't give up on her. Um, We have an unfortunate tendency here in America, and especially in the Southeast, 
to bring our Burger King mentality into our churchianity. Okay? You know what Burger King mentality is? You can have it your way. And because there's such a myriad of churches now, right? And everybody's got their different flavor of the month. Um, you can choose this church this week to be home. You can choose that church next week to be home. If this church does anything that you don't like, you can move to this one because you can have it your way. This is why I say, step number one, let God choose. And if you let God choose, you cling to that body like there is no other body out there. I mean, think about it. In the first century, you think the church uh, members were moving around from, from home congregation to home congregation because they didn't really like this or they didn't really like that or this really kind of rubbed them wrong or they thought this could be a little bit better or maybe they just, their tastes were a little bit different over here. That was, that was I, maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe that happened on occasion. But my, my understanding is that they were holding on to each other for dear life. And if there, was, if there was sin, they dealt with it. If there was off on the wrong track, they helped deal with it. If there was something wrong, they lovingly tried to fix it. They spoke the truth in love. They dealt with things, yes. But they, they, were, they were holding on for their life to the body of Christ. So this leads me to number three, my third recommendation. Ask God, number one to choose for you. Number two, you imagine that that's the only church there ever is in this whole world and you cling to it until God says there's something else. You have no choice at that point. Number three, you serve God humbly as a part of that family. In all your days, you'd be a blessing and not a curse. I hope... You get a sense of us just getting down to brass tacks. We're not scheming here. We're not playing any games. The goal of your leadership, the cry, the passion of your leadership is that we be a real place of real believers connected to the real body of Christ and that we make this our real family and we do the basics. We do the basics that build into that goal. And I get a sense that that sort of brass tacks attitude is James's attitude when he says, what use is it, my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but he has no works, nothing, nothing to evidence it, can that kind of faith save him? No, it's kind of like a brother or a sister without clothing in need of food, and they come to you, and you just say, God bless you. Be blessed. Be warm. Be fed. It's that ridiculous. Christianity, a faith without any, without any real action, without the basics being done, it's not known by Scripture. It is in Scripture, it, it's like the Loch Ness Monster. It's the abominable snowman. It doesn't happen. It's not real. You can't find it. So, what use is your faith, church? Is it really connecting you to this body? Are you doing the basics? Or are you so busying yourself with the stuff here, perhaps, and we don't give you a whole lot to do do that with, 
intentionally, but are you so busy yourself with the stuff that it's not really a family for you yet? Let's pray. Father God, at the end of my days, I hope that my faith proves obviously useful. I hope that they could look over my casket, my sons, my wife, my family, and my friends, those who knew me in this life, I hope they can look over my body and say without, without any question or doubt that my faith was legitimate. It was not a fraud. Because it showed up in the basics. It showed up in the daily life. Right down to the root of my, my church home, this place called Cornerstone. Father, call us to the basics. Call us to brass tacks, to that which will make us not just ordinary individuals and not just an ordinary church that does a whole lot of stuff, that knows all the right words to say, but a church that is extraordinary. Because we do the simple things. We do the basic things. We do the things... that honor you and that bless those around us. Lord, as I think about it, why in the world would a man or a woman want to be a part of anything other than that in this life? Lord, life is complicated and ordinary enough. This place, this place ought to be different. They ought to find peace, rest, love, They ought to find family in this place. They ought to find us doing the simplest of things. That, that, my God, is divine. There's nothing ordinary about that. It's all supernatural. Jesus, as we walk this life, might it be obvious from our living it that you are our king that you are our gracious savior who died on the cross who bled for the forgiveness of our sins was buried and victoriously raised from the grave might our lives obviously display in the most basic of ways that you are a great God Might our lives lift up your sacrifice. To those in this world who need need a clear picture of our God. In Jesus' name. We have one more song. We don't just have a song to have a song. We have one more song to give you a moment to absorb God's word, absorb what his spirit has been saying to you before you head out that door. Because when you head out that door, Satan would love to just busy us and let all this go. So in this next song, you don't have to sing. You don't have to worry about the words. These guys are going to sing. Would you amen it in your heart? You can stand if you like. You don't have to. You can stare at the floor. Ask the Holy Spirit to change you 
sharpen you. In this song, it talks about us walking through this world, lifting up Christ as, as the bread and the wine, broken and spilled out for us. The inference is this, that we walk this life and in our living of it, in the most simplest of ways, we declare the glory of God through the sacrifice of His Son. Is that, is that what your faith looks like in the living it out of your life? If not, what use is it, beloved brethren? What use? Is it of any use to us? Is it of any use to them?